Hello and welcome again. We are closing in on this fall encounter. We're going to be Yay. November 20th. Yeah, I know, right. So um, as Caleb will bring up in this lesson, this is Christ the King Sunday. And then next week we start Advent. So yay. Yeah. I love Advent. I love Advent too. It's good. Um, so in that vein, uh, remember the resources. If you hadn't checked those out, check them out. Um, and uh, what do you got, Reverend? Woosley Woman Wednesday. We are still needing your nominees. Please, please, please send us a picture and a 250 word biography. You can email it to me, R-Z-A-H-R-T-E at cumberland.org. All right. And then uh, you also have a Advent communion service or something coming up. Oh, yeah. Um, Information will be coming out. Well, actually, probably about the same time that this video comes out. So if you check on the Women's Ministry Facebook page, that will be November 25th at 7 p.m. We are going to have an Advent worship gathering online um, because Zoom is Zoom and I only have space for 100 participants please consider gathering together with some of your friends and using just one computer to access at that time. Awesome sauce. All right. Well, then November 20th, Christ King Sunday, the title of our lesson today is God Delivers. Scripture selection kind of shoots all over, but it's Isaiah 36, 1 through 3, and 13 through 20, 37, 1 through 7, and 2, 1 through 4. Seems like a lot, but it all kind of flows together. And our uh, memory verse is um, Isaiah 2, 4. God shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither, neither shall they learn war anymore. And that's Isaiah 2, 4. Join with me as we have our prayer for illumination. God, as we study your word, let us discern your guidance in our lives so we can recognize where you have been blessing us, even when we have not noticed. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, so far as the introduction, what have you got? I've got a good introduction. Uh, Do you? Yeah, illustration. Well, let's let's talk about your introduction illustration. Then. Well, it's the discussion question. Why do okay. you think the church celebrates the reign of Christ the week before the first Sunday of Advent? That's the first one. And I know okay. what I'm about to say is not true, but it feels right. And it's because the first Tuesday of November is always elections. And it's a nice <laughs> reminder that Christ is king. Uh, Amen. Right? And that no matter how crazy, stupid, political things can get, even the greatest power will bow um, a knee to Christ. The king. That's, right. That's right. And then when you picture the risen Christ in his glory, this would be a cool question in a Sunday school class. I'm curious to what your answer. I'm going to let you go first. When you picture the risen Christ in his glory, what image comes to mind or images? I think gold, bright, brilliant, white light, a white light that my brain can't even fathom how bright it is. And just this crown of glory. I just, you know, I feel like Jesus sitting on this beautiful throne of gold that is just glowing. He's glowing. And this, this crown is just glowing on his head. I just, this is what I envision. Yeah. So I, I get like, it's from revelation it's like the river like i see christ on a big throne Mm -hmm. a big throne like for some reason i see christ as like you know 100 foot tall and then we same size maybe and big throne and then water you know river of life coming out of the throne but gold and you know bright it doesn't necessarily not necessarily gold but 
you know, we're trained to think gold. Sure. Um, sure. But just, but I think it's a, that brilliance, that bright light is just kind of, I think is what is the main vision in my mind. Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to figure out when the church established Christ the King Sunday as a feast day. And I cannot, oh, yeah. I don't know why it's, so if anybody's really, listening really to this, don't. do some extra research, let me know. Um, but anyway, I think it's because of elections. You think it's because of elections? Yep. I think, I and, and again, I'm also, like Chris, I don't really, I don't know when it was established, but I don't really know because I'm still a new CP and learning a lot of these church holidays myself. Um, I'm not very familiar with the whole feast day of Christ, the King Sunday. So this is something I'm learning about, but for me and my meager mind, um, because Advent is next Sunday, I would think that we celebrate Christ as King now, as we then turn around and celebrate his, his birth and then second coming. Yeah, so that that is probably the good reason. So, like, I will say at least this: there's a lot of Carmelite Presbyterian churches that don't don't follow the church calendar, or you know, there's sure. so don't feel bad about that. And I'm not going to feel bad because I do. But um, I think what it does. So the way the church calendar is set up, uh, just for those of you who who want to know, and those who don't, fast forward 10, 12 seconds. Um, <laughs> um, it it patterns itself on the life of Christ. Um, So you begin with the hope of the Messiah and then the birth, and then you get into Lent because Christ is going to the cross, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have Easter. And then you have, you know, the mark of Pentecost where, you know, the traditional birthday of the church. And then this is why I love the church calendar. You have the vast majority of the church calendar is what we call ordinary time. Yeah. Right. Like it just, and the reason why I like that is because it, it, it sets up a rhythm of life to where you'll have some high highs and Advent and Easter, but then you'll have some low lows like Lent, you know, mm-hmm. but sure, then mo- sure. the vast majority of life is just ordinary. You know, yeah. you plug away. You're so. just living your life day after day. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Um, good introduction in the sense that yeah. it helps us to start thinking about this. The reason why uh, this is a cool lesson coming on Christ the King Sunday is because you have the battles that we're, we're talking about. It's uh and I remember I wrote about this and studied this, but you have uh, uh, King Sennacherib of Assyria coming up against uh-huh. um, Hezekiah, and um, he doesn't know what to do. And he's got to yeah. remember that he's God is king. So that's why we do it. All right. So the, amen. Amen. Exploring the scripture, historical and contextual setting. What did you take note of in this section, Reverend? Well, I like that Caleb started us off with. Isaiah and Micah. Okay. So we tied in this into our last week lesson. They, they prophesied about the same time, um, that they may have even known each other, which is kind of a cool concept. Cause if we look at a lot of the old Testament prophets, they were so far apart from each other. It's kind of neat to think about that. We have two very important prophets that were prophesying in Judah that, that may have known each other and may have known each other's prophecies, which is, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then we have that Hezekiah here is listening to Isaiah. I do, I do love that. Um, he really, he really gets into how the Assyrians, and that also goes back to last week's lesson. So, um, it was, 
Ahaz, King Ahaz from last week, who's the one who decided to become the vassal state of Assyria. He didn't listen. He tried to do things his own way instead of relying on God. And so he's the one who took Jerusalem and turned them into this vassal state. Now we're paying tribute to Assyria just to keep the peace, to keep Assyria from like destroying Jerusalem and taking over. But then they rebelled and they were like, okay, we're not going to be a vassal state any longer. And now we have, we have what is called the rap, rap, blah, 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 the Rabshaka. I can say that word eventually. The Rabshaka is the one who comes before the gates of Jerusalem, speaking in the common language in Hebrew, telling the people, don't listen to your king. He's not going to protect you. Your God's not going to protect you. Look, did any of the gods of all these other countries that we took over, did any of them protect them? And you think that your little God in Israel is going to take care of you? It's he's not. So you just need to bow down and worship now and just fall in line with what Assyria wants. Now the Rabshaka, it's important to note that the Rabshaka means chief of princes. So this was the high honor. This was the the military leader from Assyria that came to the gates of Jerusalem. It wasn't some loser from the back of the pack. It was it was the high military guard that came to the gates to intimidate and be like, look, now you got to you got to listen to me and this is a common tactic. Amongst warfare, of course, is intimidation and trying to uh, make you feel terrified so that you'll just kind of give up and give in. Yeah, I like how uh, and when you read the text, he comes up and he says, your king's not going to save you. Not only is your king not going to save you, Yahweh's not going to save you. Your God ain't going to do nothing either. Let me demonstrate. Look at these other nations we've destroyed. Is your God better than that God? Now, that's the question then. Sure. Do they believe that, that is Yahweh is, is better than those other gods, right? Right. And, and I think or, that's where Hezekiah, right. this is where Hezekiah triumphs over the other kings that were in Jerusalem, because instead of Hezekiah falling down before Assyria and saying, okay, you're right, you know, that, that our God can't deliver us, Hezekiah tearing his garments and wearing sack, sackcloth, which... Caleb points out in the last paragraph um, of exploring scripture on 67 that it represents strong emotion, deep grief, and intense mourning. Instead of Hezekiah falling down before Rabshakeh and saying, you're right, God's not going to protect us. Hezekiah instead went to the prophet of God and said, what should I do? Yeah. What does God say? So yeah. I, I think that's a, that is a huge juxtaposition between Hezekiah and Ahaz, where Ahaz, you know, fell into Assyria and just said, okay, yeah, we'll pay tribute just so you don't kill us. And Hezekiah's like, look, what is, what does God want us to do? Yeah. Generally speaking, Hezekiah was considered a good king, right? I mean, he did yeah. things well. He kind of got a little pompous at the end of his life on one particular thing. But anyway, pretty good king. I did want to bring up. Um, so this is how things work. Like if you think of Russia or Ukraine, you know, that's how this has played out. You, you, you know, you have this thing, Ukraine's got to rely on the UN or on America or whatever. Well, sure. what are the, what are going to be the, uh, end results later down 
the the line. And then when you talk about intimidation, maybe you start first something kind of simple to try to capitulate your enemy. And then if that don't work, then you just bomb everything. Like, yeah, that's what's happening right now. And so, again, I'll let it be known that human beings don't change much. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> um, our artillery tactics may have changed, yeah. but our attitudes have not. <laughs> yeah. So discussion question. Yeah. When is it most difficult for you to trust God? Are there mm. are there other trusted sources you turn to first before seeking discernment from God? Also have a good answer for that one. Sure. So, yes. Um, I would say it's most difficult for me to trust God when I'm afraid of the outcome. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, when I have fear of, of what exactly is going to take place, this is, this is the time that you should be like Hezekiah <laughs> should huh. be trusting in God and listening to, to God's prophet. But it's also, I think the most difficult place because you have this, this level of fear within you that it's hard to maintain a focus or it's hard to see beyond what looks like the most obvious results and understand that God doesn't work with the obvious God works with the supernatural. So we can't predict what the results are going to be. And of course, you know, I always try to turn to my own earthly wisdom first and try to go, Oh no, that, that, that'll work. That'll work. That'll work. And I know, I know it's not going to (laughs) work, but I try to convince myself it will. Um, To be specific, it's similar in the sense it's probably about outcomes, but where I have found it hardest and difficult to trust God is with my kids. Ooh, that's a right? good one. Really. Because, yeah. you know, and then, but, and then following into the next question, mm-hmm. um, what are the trusted resource sources you turn to? Me. Sure. <laughs> I turn to me first. Yeah. Uh, and it's a terrible idea. It's always a Because we're so smart, right? I mean, but we're so smart that we know it all. It always seems like the right idea up until it's not. Yeah. So anyway, that would be my answer for that. That gets us to the digging deeper um, section. Uh, let's mm-hmm. see here. Comparing scripture with scripture. You want to start that up for us? Sure. Um, so King Sennacherib on the bottom page of 67 attempts to persuade the people of Judah that he is the, it, he is to be the agent of destruction unless they turn to pledge loyalty to him, not to the Lord. Against it's this idea of, making them question their faith and their loyalty to God. Um, and he, he seeks to, I love this top of page 68, cause this is so true. He seeks to sow doubt concerning Hezekiah's leadership, but also asserts authority over the God of Israel. And if we go back to Genesis chapter three in the fall, this is the exact same thing that was happening here at the fall is what's going on here. The serpent didn't explicitly just say, oh, God is wrong. What he did was to sow a seed of doubt. Did God really say that? Did did God really, did God really tell you that? Is that what he really said? You know, just that little bit of seed. It's the oldest trick in the book. It is to just sow that little bit of seed of doubt. So then you start questioning. Well, I don't know. Did he really? Um, but then we have Hezekiah who turns around and, and seeks the Lord through Isaiah. And I love how the first thing he says is don't be afraid. Yeah. Um, Do not be afraid. Yeah. I wanted to bring up, that's the theme of Advent. 
Like basically what will end up happening over the next five or six weeks, especially when Advent comes up, you'll hear these stories. Do not fear. It's the angel coming to Joseph and Mary. It's, you know, just do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. In some sense, again, going back to my election joke, that that's what we hear. Like no matter how crazy the world is, you don't have to fear. Um, No. Hezekiah, sackcloth and ashes. What's what's the response? Don't fear. I got this. Yeah. And then no matter what happens, then we can have this sense of um, don't fear. Like, yeah. and, and I think, I think what he, uh, Caleb on 68, uh, one, two, three, four, five, about the middle of the page. Um, God says, and it's the last sentence of, I think about the fifth paragraph. God says, do not be afraid. We would not blame our Jewish forebears for responding with easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's true. Sure. Um, but hopefully as we mature, um, and I see this in like, you know, I've seen my stepdaughter or any of my children uh, when they grow up, something that happens is so immediate and it has profound impacts for the rest of their life. And you're like, oh, you're not even going to remember this yeah. 10 or 15 years from now. But when you're in the moment, things seem like it's life, death, eternity, which, you know, for, for this, it was life and death. But for most of what we encounter, it's more just consequences or bad mm-hmm. outcomes than life and death, but just everything seems so immediate. And then God's up on the throne, right? Uh, and he's not just the God of now, but the God of eternity. Yeah. Knows yeah. the ends from the, you know, the ends from the beginnings, this kind of thing. And there is a sense in which we can, we don't have to be afraid. And um, maybe this is a little pop psychology, but like I find myself um, having to stop sometimes. I get anxiety on certain, certain things and I'm just saying, stop. You know, take a deep breath. Don't fear. Like, what's what's this going to matter in the long run? And some things are really important. I don't want to say they're not. But to cause us anxiety, fear, and dread is not biblical. We do have to remind ourselves of Christ the King. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I like how on, on page 68, it's the second paragraph from the bottom of the page. It says, God demands faith when fear abounds. When the going gets tough, God calls God's people to remember that we have a choice as to whether we are motivated by our fear of a foreign power or by our faith in the word of the Lord. And I think that is so key to both Hezekiah's reaction, but also to the reaction that we have today. You know, are we going to allow this fear of a foreign invasion of a foreign power taking over? to pervade our mind or are we going to allow our faith in god to keep us going yeah um and so then this is where isaiah comes in again if you're just reading isaiah for the historical instances i mean it's good but then you're going to miss it the book of isaiah actually is just a vision of what it means for god to be king yahweh to be king christ to be king so in that bottom paragraph on 68 he highlights isaiah 2 1 through 4 this is the vision and this Mm -hmm. is also the um I think we talked about this when we're heading into Advent, when the three kings or the wise men, the magi, whatever you want to call them, come to Christ. This is the, in the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as the highest mountains and shall be raised above all hills. All nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come to come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Um, and then there's the vision right after that. So that's, yeah. So a lot of people see that as the three wise men coming to Christ as the nations streaming to Israel, but then the vision, he shall judge between the nations and shall settle disputes for many people. 
They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation mm-hmm. shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And that's vision. Imagine a life, and it, and it will never happen. Like, no matter how much we tweet or yell or whatever, like, people will not, again, Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah that says this, can a leopard change its spots? Right. People are people, unless they're redeemed. Yeah. Um, and so I did want to put up the vision. Also, I'll put it in the uh, newsletter thing, but uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp, uh, she sings a pretty good version of Study War No More. It's good. That would be cool. Okay. I'll, I will be excited to listen to that because it, it is a, you know, especially at this time of year, we love to sing about peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And that is the intention but the truth is, it will never happen. So I'm going too far, but that's a bad translation the way we have it. The translation for that, like, because I remember when I first found this out, because I remember hearing the Christmas song, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Yeah, yeah. There is no peace on earth. But what that, and you'll get this in the winter encounter uh, in Advent, um, the translation for that is on earth, peace to those whom God favors. Mm. So peace in that statement, the way we have it, I think the King James Version said, on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Yes. The actual translation is peace yeah. to those of goodwill and those whom God favors. It. So it's meant to say you can have peace with Christ, but sure. you don't have peace outside of Christ. So it's yeah. not this universal thing. It's this thing in which scripture acknowledges human beings are terrible. But you can be transformed, and in your transformation, yeah. you can have peace, and they can study war. But eventually, sure. then, Christ is going to come and establish right. the kingdom. And anyway, there yeah. we go. Um, dis- discussion question? Yeah. All right. As Christians, we profess, we profess faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who will return to rule on the day of the Lord. How does this expectation impact the decisions we make in our daily lives, especially the decisions we make in response to fear or grief? We talked about it a little bit, I guess. I think we did, but I think it's, it's, we need to respond like Hezekiah and, and respond with, with faith in what God is doing instead of being fearful and not being, uh, you know, don't be afraid of the world around you because the world around you is not going to last forever. But as a follower of Christ, then we should be that light, that city on the hill, sharing this beautiful message that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be fearful of the world around you. If you have Christ in your life, you have an assurance that eternal life will be yours and invite people into that relationship and being a part of the, come to the light. I think, yeah, yeah. This is one of those times we want you to come to the light. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I would go with that. I mean, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, I think one of the ways that you can um, help make decisions is to slow it down. Like I said, I think, you know, you have those spiritual disciplines of of stopping and praying, just like Hezekiah yeah. did. And, and like, I kind of like people make fun of rituals sometimes, but I think there's something when he put himself in sackcloth, like he's taking time and he's acknowledging before God yeah. that he's scared, right? And sure. sometimes... One of the most frustrating things that you have in life is that you have all these emotions pent up and you don't know what to do with them. I mean, you know, the church has got some pretty good ideas. Repentance, confession, prayer, you know, 
mourning, lamentation, these kinds of things. If you learn these things, then you can put your whatever the feelings are. And, you know, like, I don't know who made this up. Don't even know if it's scientifically true. But people have always said that, you know, better out than in, Shrek Mm -hmm. always says. And so, like, at least if you (laughs) can. Shrek. Yeah, if, at least if you can put a, a name or a language toward your feelings and, mm-hmm. and put them before God, then you're in a step in the right direction. Then you can remember those things of acts of faith and decisions on faith. Yes, yes. And, you know, I'm glad that you bring that up because I think that's something that in the modern church that we don't talk about often enough for whatever reason, and I'm not sure where this has happened or why this has happened, but people feel like as a Christian, we're just supposed to be happy, go lucky all the time and never have a down moment. And that is so far from the truth. If you read through the Psalms, a lot of them are laments. Yeah, A lot of the prophets are lamenting and it's okay. I'm giving you permission right now. It is okay to feel sad and frustrated and irritated and lament before God. But then when you lament, come back to remember that God is always faithful. God has never failed. He has never not kept his promise. So let God know how you feel, but then acknowledge that God is still faithful and will keep his promises. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to push us to the learning from the scripture section, because in that last discussion, you kind of brought up the light of the world type thing yeah so that's part of our devotional reading is the is from the sermon on the mountain this section so what do you got on the learning from the scripture so here we are caleb really walks us to the sermon on the mount and then all these people are now flocking to listen to this new rabbi this new rabbi jesus of nazareth and he instead of talking about how awful Rome is and how terrible they are. Instead, what he talks about is, look, you're the light of the world. You are the city set on a hill. But even though you are being oppressed by Rome at this time, that Israel is still the place from which God is going to illuminate the world. And I love that. Yeah. I think it's Um, a reassurance for the people of Israel who who I can only imagine what they must have felt like at that time, but it, it has to be a reassurance for them to know that God has not forgotten them. Um, I think I would go exactly with that. I mean, essentially, so I've got in here written, you know, be Isaiah. Essentially, mm-hmm. as Christians, we have the opportunity to be Isaiah. And when people come to us in fear, um, we have a message of do not be afraid. And not only do we have a message that we can say, but we can live that way. And when we live that way, it shows some hope. And so um, I I think one of the best things in your Sunday school class that you could do uh, is to acknowledge the fact that you might be an anchor in a storm for especially younger folk. Like um, I've said this a couple of times, it's completely official now. Like um, the number one cause of death of people between, I think, 45 and 18, 18 and 45 now is fentanyl overdoses. Now, fentanyl is a bad drug. Lots of times drugs are laced with it. doesn't mean everybody's killing themselves necessarily because of depression or whatnot. But at least what it does do is that people are not finding purpose or meaning in in their identity in Christ. And so they try to find it somewhere else. And so, so, but what I'm saying is a lot of those are deaths of despair. And, Mm -hmm. and like the world's bad. (laughs) You know, the world is bad. 
And it, and it feels like right now, maybe because of social media or news or whatever else, it feels worse probably than it is. How will you respond? Like, I need someone in my life, especially when I was growing up, I needed somebody that was sane. I still do. Like, when I get frustrated about the world, I think of certain people and how, like, that's not affecting them in the same way it's affecting me. And then I pray for that faith or strength or whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I remember, you know, this is the season. Do not be afraid. So maybe yeah, tell that to someone in your church. Share that every once in a while. Do not be afraid. Yeah, uh, I think Caleb does a great job of pointing that out on the bottom of page 69. He's talking about September yeah. of 2001, which really dated Caleb and made me giggle because that was. He's still a baby. <laughs> that was the day my daughter started walking. Um, so there's an age difference between Caleb and I. But yeah. he, he says, you know, that social media, traditional news outlets, text messages can often distract us with worrying events and frightening rumors. Being afraid causes us to spend more time consuming the media, which creates fear in the first place. And how many, I I mean, even during this election process, how many people did you know, or how many people in your class were absolutely glued to the TV, glued to newspapers, glued to social media, looking at all the different races and the possible outcomes and just being afraid of what's going to happen after this election yeah like you know yeah Uh, the death of democracy democracy at stake like the the way we framed every debate that if you didn't vote or if you voted the wrong way it's Mm -hmm. we're done humanity is going to crumble into a a dark despair which it might be true not me i'm a christian i'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and I think that's the thing we have to keep in mind is no matter what the political outcome, and I know you and I've talked about it here before, no matter the political outcome, no matter what party is in charge, God is still king. God is still sovereign. Jesus is still on the throne. And no matter what happens in the world around us as a follower of Christ, instead of being polarized and divided and terrified of what's going to happen, God's turning around saying, do not be afraid. Not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, I'm not going to really do the discussion question because I, I, you know, you, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying things I'm most afraid of, but we did already say, you know, this, especially during Advent, um, if there's somebody that needs to know God's faithfulness in a frightful time, that's, that's what we do in Advent. Um, I mean, that's the ultimate message that Christ has overcome. I will read section 7.08 of the uh, confession of faith because it goes along with what we were saying. In the consummation of history at the coming of Jesus Christ, the kingdoms of the world shall become the kingdom of the Lord and of the Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, (laughs) All right. Applying the scripture. Hmm. What do you got there? I think the ending of this section, Caleb did a great job on. He says, there will always be great powers and principalities that assume they can bully anyone and everyone into service and obedience. Let us remember today and every day that there is only one true power in this world. And one day God will establish a temple upon the high city of Jerusalem and the Lord Jesus Christ will reign in the one kingdom that will never fade away. I don't know how else to end it. That was beautiful. No, that's what it is, though. That's what Isaiah is trying to do. He's trying to give the vision. Yep. To where whatever you see is not the truth, but the vision, the hope in Christ, that's yeah. what you reach for. What do you believe is possible? What do you believe will happen? And that can compel you. If you believe that, you know, this earth is going to be saved by some political platform, I wish you well. Uh, struggle on. Um, 
or if you believe it's going to be saved by some, you know, means other than the transformation of human hearts in Jesus Christ, carry on, keep doing what you're doing. But I would also say um, the vision is, is that uh, we're the light of the world and we work too. It's not as though we withdraw from society, but our, our uh, vision is different. We're not establishing political kingdoms. We're establishing the rule of God in people's hearts is what we're trying to And uh, so anyway, um, all right. Anything else? Carry on, my friends, and do not be afraid. What is it? Keep calm and carry on, I guess. There we go. Isn't that the phrase? Netflix and chill on and Netflix or whatever. I don't know. Okay, now I was thinking carry on my wayward sons. Never mind. We're going to stop this before we denigrate into a concert. (laughs) May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Bye, everyone.